Brian Thomas is easy. To me, we'll get a chance to see him show a more variety of routes out here when he works out as well as his pro day because he didn't have to do a bunch of different routes there at LSU. It was death by slot fade with those guys. I mean, they just won vertically time after time after time. But he's fast. He's smooth. He can go up and get it, play above the rim down there in the red zone. Daniel Jeremiah with One Bills Live yesterday on Brian Thomas Jr., who as of right now, is sitting in mock drafts around the Bills pick. You're seeing the big three at receiver. And then the fourth guy comes off the board in the 20s, sometimes as late as the Bills. But, of course, the big three, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Rome Adunze. And receivers run on Saturday at the Combine. Good morning. Jeremy White with you. Nate took off. Joe's off today. And uh, Josh Schmidt producing, hooking up with Derek Klassen of the 33rd team and Bleach Report and Reception Perception as well in just a moment on the Combine and things to look for. He's predicting 40 times of receivers, and I'm going to want to get into what that could mean. You know, if there's there's one thing that might change a player's stock, it might just be that this player runs faster than people think. I mean, some teams will fall in love with speed and a speedster. Sometimes, you know, you see the speed on tape, you'll hear the phrases like, the guy plays fast. Or then there's just, you know, lightning speed. So we'll get to all that and the quarterbacks as well as we, uh, you know, kick it up with Derek Klassen joining us on the Western Hotline. Derek, good morning. Good morning to you guys. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. We're, um, you know, we're waiting for the Bills offseason to begin and trying to figure out, you know, the right way to go. I'll, I'll be honest, though, Derek, a lot of the conversation around here, you know, for some of us, it's been three years in the making. But this year, it is a near unanimous conversation about the need for help at receiver. Uh, I felt the Bills probably needed it before Gabe Davis was a UFA. And now that Davis is a UFA, a lot of our conversation really just it, it is like the earth rotating the sun about receivers for the Bills in this draft. I mean, they kind of they kind of have to go with one, right? And I think it's interesting. They could go a number of ways. I think if they want to just straight up replace a guy like Davis, they could go for, I don't know, a Troy, Flink- uh, Troy Franklin out of Oregon. I think he's actually a pretty similar player. But to me, a more put-together route runner. So if they still want a bigger vertical guy, I think he could kind of fit in there. I think if maybe somebody like Keon Coleman falls to them and they can get more of a big body winner, I think that would also work. I think that's the kind of interesting thing. If they could go a number of ways, and I don't really know what they want to do offensively, so it's kind of hard to like pencil in exactly what they're going to want to go for. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier with Joe Brady. We've only seen a half of his offense, half a season, and even then, it's not like they built it for him, which you would think they would do that a little bit more. If looking at this receiver class, I think the thing the Bills should probably be doing is looking not for a, a Davis clone or Davis replacement necessarily, but the most likely guy that could transition from a two to a one and be kind of built up into that. Because with the age of Stefan Diggs, the Bills have to be planning not only for this season, but for future seasons to build out Josh Allen's receiver core. And if there's a, if there's a guy that you might like in that mold, uh, a guy that can come in and contribute, but there's a lot of room for growth. Who is the name at the top of your list for that that is available in the late first round? They might need to move up a smidgen, but I think Brian Thomas Jr. is, is probably their best bet there because I think he's a guy where you can see why he would produce right away. He's long. He's fast. Um, he's not as much of a ball winner as you would think for a guy his size, but he's, I, I think he like tracks the ball really well down the field, which is good for him. 
but it's probably going to take him a little bit to, to sort out his route tree, I think, because I think he was a decent route runner at LSU, and you can see the explosion. You can see some pretty decent nuance in certain spots, but his route tree was just very limited. So I think it's going to take some time for him to, like you said, blossom from maybe a number two, number three, into like a true number one. So I think he's probably their best bet. Like, like I said, it might take him moving a couple of spots, but I don't think it would take anything too crazy to go, go up and get him. Derek Lesson on the Western Hotline. What moves receivers the most? Is it 40 times? I mean, the combine matters. In, in Pro days matter. Interviews matter. But the 40 time is the thing that's going to jump off the page if a guy puts up a crazy number. 40 times is definitely going to jump out. And, again, that's always based on, you know, weight. If, if a guy is, you know, 5'8", 175, it's not as cool if he runs a 4'3", as opposed to a guy who's, you know, 200 pounds or whatever. But um, I think the three-cone is actually a big one. I mean, three-cone is kind of where you see it's – as close of an approximation here as you're going to get to like how well does a guy sink into routes? How well can he explode out? What's his change of direction? Like that's probably a little bit more useful for some of your, you know, slot Z players than it might be for your X receiver. Cause your X receiver is probably not going to be doing as much of that bending, snapping, all that sort of stuff. But I think if you're looking for those type of receivers, like, you know, I don't know. Roman Wilson, I think is a good example in this class. I expect him to have a good three cone because you watch him play just so snappy, so agile, change of direction is so smooth. That's the type of stuff I'm looking at for receivers here. Speaking with Derek Klassen on the Western Hotline uh, about the combine coming up. We've got quarter, we got receiver testing coming up on Saturday. We'll watch a lot of other positions as well. Before we get to the quarterbacks, which I want to do, I, I know you've recently written about uh, Brock Bowers at Georgia, and there's the history of tight ends early, and then there's the athletic freaks and the way that the game has changed. So w- what's your feeling on Bowers in terms of how high he should go? I think Bowers is, is fantastic. Like, I, I think the whole thing with the the tight ends in the first round and all that stuff, I think people are just getting too hung up on a couple of, like, the most obvious misses. Um, because even some of the ones that people are, like, pinning his misses, I don't even think that that's the case. Like, TJ Hawkinson, sure, he got traded, but he's a good player. Kyle Pitts, again, injured, but he's a really good player. Like, it's not like all of these guys are terrible. In the case of Brock Bowers, I just think – in today's game, yards after the catch is probably the most valuable thing you can do as a pass catcher, and I think Brock Bowers is one of the most special yards after catch players I've ever seen. Not just tight ends, like players I've ever seen. Um, he just has unbelievable speed. He's incredibly balanced for a guy who is not all that big. He's probably like 240 pounds, um, and then he just has great length. The route running is already is already pretty mature. Really, the only issue with him is, like, you know, is he big enough to play in line as a blocker? But you watch him, and it's like, yeah, he's not going to be George Kittle, just, like, mowing people down, but, like, he's going to get the job done, and I don't think it's going to be a problem for him to play in line. So he's just a guy to me where you can play him anywhere. He has all the explosive talent that you want. He's really long in terms of his arms. So, like, he kind of checks every box. And, sure, we can get scared about tight ends, but there's no more than, like, five, six players who are better than him in this class, and that's that's still going to go really high, regardless of position. Yeah, the evolution of the position, too. Like, we're seeing a lot of teams use them in different ways. There's there's more athleticism. The Bills just went tight end in the first round last year with Dalton Kincaid. We watched Sam Laporta have a great rookie season. Do you feel like it also changes with the position that guys – I remember going into last year, like, well, historically, tight ends don't come in and contribute. And here's both Kincaid and Laporta contributing in great ways. And I would expect – Maybe you think Powers can do the same exact thing, which is forget history. The tight end position itself has changed enough that we can kind of push that history aside. Definitely, and I, I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, I think teams are less um, 
less dead set on using their tight end as like a safety blanket type. And I think they're more willing to accept that like, yeah, this can be our explosive play type. Like, um, like you said, Sam Laporta, that the, the amount of deeper routes he ran uh, for the Lions is kind of crazy for a tight end. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. And that was kind of when you knew how he was going to be good, just how they were using him. Um, but I think Brock Bowers absolutely has that. I think the other thing is teams are getting better about kind of working around using your tight end as, you know, a point man um, in the run game. Cause that was always, I think the big thing is when you come in as a tight end, you're kind of playing two positions, you're playing receiver, you're playing offensive tackle. They kind of eliminated the tackle part just by doing a lot more gap runs, doing a lot where these guys are making blocks on the move as a, you know, as opposed to just being a point man and, and trying to take on a defensive end. So I think between those two things, like you said, you can get guys like Dalton Kincaid, Sam Laporta, who just come in right away, and it's like, okay, their athleticism and pass catching kind of trumps all. Derek Klassen on Twitter, at QB Class, uh, class with a K. All right, let's get to the quarterbacks, Derek, because one thing we're hoping, at least I am, is that as many as possible go, right? If you're a team that doesn't need a quarterback, you want to load up that first round with quarterbacks, and better talent slides to the Bills. So what's the number? How many do you think ultimately go in the first round? I think we're going to get four. Um, you know, I the first two are obvious, and then we're going to get Jaden Daniels. I'm pretty sure we're going to get J.J. McCarthy probably sooner than people realize. And I I think people are assuming that, you know, if, if all those guys go top eight, let's say, I think people are assuming somebody else is going to reach at some point for a quarterback. I just don't see it. I think with Michael Penix, you know, you have um, the age and the injury concerns. I think with Bo Nix, He's had enough opportunities at this point to kind of prove himself throughout the process, you know, especially in Mobile. Didn't seem really like that happened, so I kind of just struggled to see a world where a fifth quarterback ends up going in the first round. And on the strength of the quarterbacks, you know, putting these guys, Drake May and Caleb Williams, in context of the last couple drafts, how highly would you would you rate them? You know, the Trevor Lawrence year or whatever. Sometimes we get a generational prospect. How high are you putting those two? So Trevor, to me, was like kind of untouchable. I, I thought he was just unbelievable. Like the, the, the pocket presence, the arm talent, the accuracy, some of the decisions he was making. I, to me, he was just kind of an untouchable prospect. So I don't think he's quite as good as those guys. But right in that tier below where they where these are guys you are still very comfortably taking first overall, that's kind of where I see Caleb and Drake. Like, And I think a lot of people are getting you know very defensive about you know if you love one you can't really love the other. I don't think that's true. I would take both of these guys first overall, and whichever way you want to sort them, I don't really care. I think they're both fantastic prospects. Yeah, one thing I wonder is you know there's (laughs) the the way the position is played these days. I'm I'm seeing a a phrase about Caleb Williams that's arm elasticity, right? Throwing from all these different angles and platforms, and when I think about the comps for Williams. You know, you'll see comps to Mahomes because he does crazy things and he, he has these highlight reel plays. But one of the things that you got to be as a quarterback is willing to play on schedule and taking what's there. And I wonder if quarterbacks now are, are more drafted for upside and because of the, you know, the, the, the elite traits. If you can do something elite, then the rest of it can be worked out. I mean, Bills fans here have seen this kind of happen with Josh Allen, right? The elite arm talent and the elite athleticism, and they were able to kind of build the rest of it in and turn him into a complete quarterback. I wonder how many teams are approaching these these top-flight draft pick quarterbacks with the same idea, that show me something elite and that'll get you drafted. I think you almost have to now, and I think there's there's two reasons for that. One, you look at the top of the league, all of these guys have some sort of elite physical calling card, right? Whether it's 
um, arm strength, arm, you know, this arm elasticity that, that, that Mahomes has, um, Josh Allen being basically a cyborg playing quarterback, Justin Herbert kind of along the same lines. Like all these guys have some sort of physical superpower. So I think teams are realizing, okay, if we want to contend with that, kind of need somebody who can do that as well. I think the other thing is like the college game just doesn't look like the pro game whatsoever. It doesn't really matter what program you go and look at the college offenses almost everywhere around the country don't really look like pro offenses. And so, you know, 25 years ago when they did, it was like, okay, we can draft guys who it seems like they are very pro ready. It's just really, I think, tougher to find those guys um, and tougher to find plays that immediately and directly translate now. So you kind of just swing on guys where it's like, okay, well, he reacts to stuff fast and he's a super athlete. Let's see if we can figure it out. And I think, you know, to your point, both Caleb and Drake kind of, kind of check those boxes yeah Derek Klassen on the Western Hotline on this draft class you, you do work for Bleacher Report 33rd team and also Reception Perception where you chart quarterbacks and you know the site Reception Perception one of my favorites the work that you guys do that Matt does that you do in charting these players I want to ask you one question about Josh Allen and the type of receiver that he should get before we let you go which is that the Bills are looking for explosive plays and that's something their head coach and their GM have both said. They had zero explosive plays in their playoff loss to the Chiefs. You want to say that's limitations at receiver, whatever it might be. Play design, it could be a number of things. It could be a drop. I mean, Stefan Diggs dropped the deep ball, and so did Trent Sherfield. But what I want to get at is the Bills have never, with Josh Allen, been, it seems like really rarely, I should say, maybe never, been a good yak team, yards after catch. And they're chasing that to some degree. And one of the things I want to ask you is, how much of that is Allen, the types of throws he picks, the types of plays they, they like? Because for them to always be missing out on yak plays, I wonder how much that comes down to personnel and how much that comes down to the type of offense and types of throws that Allen chooses because you've charted him extensively. So what's the right answer there to find this yards after catch that's eluded the Bills for years and years of Allen's time? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because I think you look at the roster and outside of Stefan Diggs, I don't think they've really had that many yak guys recently. Shakir is actually not bad with the ball in his hands, so maybe he, he kind of fits into that bucket as well. But generally, they haven't had guys who are just very obviously insane yak stars. So I do think that that's part of it. I do think part of it is, is the way that Allen plays, though, because I think he's kind of grown into a guy who, you know, he doesn't do as much of the go crazy and just I'm going to break structure stuff as much. And I think he's really grown into a guy who, does a lot of, you know, we're going to run 15 quick game concepts a game. I'm going to check down a lot. And then every now and then I'm going to heave it down the field when I need to. And so I think there's kind of not as much work in that intermediate area, which to me is where you get a lot of your yards after catch. Uh, at least like your explosive opportunities, you're going to get yards after catch when you throw two yards. You know, eventually, you know, guys are going to try to come up and rally and stuff. But um, I think the intermediate area is where you really get your big yak opportunities. I mean, look at all the Shanahan guys. Like, that's that's yeah. really the, where they make their money with the, the big crossers, glance routes, all that sort of stuff. So I think if they could maybe incorporate more of that into the Bills offense and then, like I said, also get one guy who clearly has a little bit of juice to him, I think that, that could kind of solve the problem. And maybe unlocking that is offensive coordinator Joe Brady in his first full season. How, how did you like the half season you saw, and what about Brady's body of work before this? He's, a, he's an interesting one. I was actually, I don't know if uh, this is the right platform to say, I was kind of a Ken Dorsey apologist. I thought he was fine. I really think a lot of the issues the Bills offense had were just like, Josh Allen was throwing interceptions, and so everything looks terrible when that's happening. I think they fired Dorsey, promoted Brady, and I think maybe Allen kind of realized, like, okay, I'm going to settle down and not do that, and that kind of fixed the offense. But 
to me, I didn't really see anything that much better or worse with Brady calling the plays. I think maybe the run game had a little bit less of an identity, but I think the passing game was still largely what it needed to be. And when you have a quarterback like Allen, that's kind of all that matters. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be a superstar hire that they, they think it might be or like people thought Joe Brady might be three, four years ago. But I think he's going to be at the baseline, and I think they're going to be perfectly fine. All right, very good. Derek Klassen of the 33rd team, Reception Perception Bleach Report. Derek, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of the combine. Thank you so much. You guys have a good one. All right, you can follow him on Twitter, and I would recommend it, at uh, QB Class, the uh, Reception Perception website. I love Reception Perception. For those of you that are needing more and all as much quarterback and receiver stuff, I mean, Derek charts the quarterbacks at Reception Perception, and Matt Harmon does the receivers. It's just it's such a great tool. They're getting into free agent receivers. You want to know what to think about Marquise Brown. I mean, it's just really detailed how they succeed against press, how they succeed against man, how they uh, beat double coverage, what kind of routes they run, how often they run them, their success rate on those routes. It's really, really good receptionperception.com. And for Derek, it's charting quarterbacks, charting week to week. You know, you want to see how Josh Allen played in week four. He'll be he'll have charted him from week four last year against the Dolphins when he lit them up. It was just it's just a really cool site. So would uh give it my highest recommendation. 8030550 is our phone number, one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. When we return, this day in history, there are two of them. Yeah, that's right. Josh knows one. You told me one. There's uh, two of them, four years apart, memorable, involving the same person. We'll get to that. You'll remember them both. You'll remember the person. You'll remember both days. You might think of both of them as kind of sad days. But it's okay, because there's some fun to come out of it. 803-0550. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty on WGR. Yes, it's giveaway time. We've got another prize to give away. You can win a pair of tickets to the men's college basketball tournament watch party at Seneca Resort and Casino. Thursday, March 21st, or Sunday, March 24th. This open court ticket includes unlimited access to the fantastic buffet, five five hours of tournament viewing, high-speed internet, and a cash bar. First come, first serve seating. Must be 21 and up to win. Visit SenecaNiagaraCasino.com for details. So, caller five wins a pair of tickets. 2214WGR. Okay, so this day in history, there were two days... In history, same day, February 28th, four years apart, involving the same person. I'm going to say the same person was, if not the main character, one of the main characters. So the first one I saw is this is the anniversary of the Ryan Miller trade. Miller and Steve Ott traded to St. Louis, which, boy, looking back on that, if you had been told it was going to go this way, I mean, it's definitely not the reason it went this way. And we've been watching the Sabres fall short for a decade. But it's a long time ago. He played for a long time after that. You know, when he got traded, you might have held this belief in your heart, like, well, okay, it's necessary now. Let's let's set him free and see if he comes back. And, of course, that never did happen. He bounced around and had a really nice career. He came back for Ryan Miller night, but... You know, Miller has good years in Anaheim after that. 
Like, he just, I don't know, I kind of felt like he was going to come back. And when he was traded in 2014, he goes to the Blues. Not a great playoff run for him. Immediately goes then with the Canucks and has three good seasons with Vancouver from a safe percentage standpoint. Anaheim after that for four seasons and then calls it a career. Miller ends up playing 796 career games, but he and Steve Ott moved in that trade. And do you remember what the Sabres got in that trade? Like the big pieces? It wasn't exactly the biggest haul. (laughs) It was Chris Stewart. There was a first-round pick involved. The first-round pick was then traded to Winnipeg in the – Patrick Kane or Evander, Evander Kane. Kane. And then that pick was used to pick Jack Roslevic, who's like a, you know, relevant, well, for a bit was a relevant sure, player. Sure, sure. Ten years ago today, the Blues trade Yaroslav Halak, who ended up being good and never played for the Sabres. I think he didn't want to. It wasn't that the thing? Wasn't that the trade like in the summer and then he was just like, I don't want to go there? Listen, I don't know what they're doing in St. Louis to tell people that Buffalo is the worst place on earth, but, you know. Berglund came and just quit, stopped playing hockey too. And he's in the O'Reilly trade. Yaroslav Halak, Chris Stewart, a first-round pick for Ryan Miller and Steve Ott. Blues used the Anaheim Ducks locker room attendant as their backup goalie after the trade because they needed a backup, I guess. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's funny. Ten years ago. So ten years ago was the Miller trade. Fourteen years ago was Sidney Crosby's golden goal on Ryan Miller. You told me that in the break, and now I'm just deflated. Like, I just don't want to do anything the rest of the day. That that goal makes me so sad. I can I can vividly remember it, but it's just like, well, you know. part of it, if, if, if I'm looking back at that tournament and that game, that golden goal, how that all happened, you know, there's the disappointment of losing in the moment. But beyond that, the NHL stopped going to the Olympics for a while, and now they're going to go back, which, you know, the NHL robbed hockey fans of those kind of moments, and that's not nothing. If I think back to 14 years ago, I can remember where I was watching that game. I'm pretty sure it would have been. I'm at the arena. I'm at, I'm at the at that that point. It's the not Marine Midland. What was it? HSBC. It's HSBC in between. So I'm at the HSBC arena at the time. And down in the press area where there's, I'm getting something to eat because I'm 99% sure the event that I'm there for is Super Sunday. The varsity champion, the hockey championships. Everybody goes and plays. There's hockey all day. And I remember watching before I went, watching in at home, and the game is close and it goes deep. And okay, now we're going to overtime. And I'm wondering, am I going to be able to see this game end before I have to go out? I was doing play-by-play for Time Warner or something for one of these games, or two of these games maybe. And I remember thinking, boy, watching the clock, like I might have to get out of here. I might miss how this game ends, and then like abruptly, bam, it's over. Oh, well, all right, that's that. And then, of course, after that, Miller, Miller went to another level when that happened. He was already a, a goalie that was well-known, but... Ryan Miller became a household name to hockey fans throughout the country as a result of that. And, you know, he, he wins a Vezina. So that game happens in 20, 2010, right? Yeah, 14, 14 years ago. That's the year he wins the Vezina. 
he wins the hearts of USA hockey fans and wins the Vezina Trophy, and the Sabres are in the playoffs. And thinking about just that year, we romanticize 0506 and 0607 all the time. But 2009-10, man, that's a good year. He's an all-star. The Vezina, the Olympics, I mean, it's all right there. We are fans of the team who have the American goalie. He goes to Pittsburgh, what, the first game after that tournament, and he gets a standing ovation on the road. These are things that, you know, I mean, it's not breaking any news to anybody when we talk about this current Sabres drought. And, again, like, they're not responsible for all of this. The NHL not going to the Olympics. The Sabres would have had Olympians. I mean, Jack Eichel would have been at the Olympics for Team USA at one point. But, like, the things that we've lost along the way from hockey, 14 years ago, it's funny because now this all makes sense. My Facebook feed, you know how Facebook will tell you, like, hey, this date in 2010 or 2009 or whatever it was, on this day, you had written this. And a couple of my, the last couple days has been all these hockey references. Like, oh, I love hockey. Hockey's so great. So happy to be a hockey fan. And it's just kind of wild, like, that a lot of that has drifted. And I know that I made the point yesterday that Sunday in the arena for the Hurricanes game was a reminder for me that it's never that far away. It just takes getting everybody back in there and all wanting to watch again. We had that for a brief moment last year, even though the Sabres didn't make the playoffs. But to get back to all of that, and it just it feels so far away, but I know it's, it doesn't have to be. And that golden goal for Crosby, I mean, you know, he scores on Miller in the Winter Classic in the shootout too, right? Like Crosby, Crosby's Crosby. He's he's scored these incredible goals in these incredible moments. And I don't know, there's probably a cynic out there that says, like, of course, Buffalo's on the wrong end of it. But whatever, you know, to have been alive during that 2010 season, the 2009-2010 season, Miller, Miller clocks in 41-18-8. A 9.29 goals, uh, save, save percentage. A 9.29 save percentage. And the funny thing about like goals save above expected, you can go back and run the numbers with charting. Ryan Miller was a 36 on goals save above expected, which is a big number. To give you a comparison, this year, goals saved above expected, right now number one in the league is Connor Hellebuck, who's having a great season. In 42 games, he's 29 goals saved above expected. Miller had 36 in 41 games. Like he, he was, of course, the best goalie in hockey. He was playing on the level that Hellebuck and Thatcher Demko are this year. And he felt like an impenetrable brick wall. It was amazing. It's a fun year. That's the year that Myers wins the Calder. And, you know, 2010, they win the division. What might have been? They were a great team that year. They were wire-to-wire division winners, and then they go out in six games. Vanek, of course, gets his ankle chopped by Johnny Boychuk. You know, this is all too young for you, right? You're, this is, no, this is... You, uh, how old are you, Josh, at this uh, time? I would have been, well, 10 turning 11. Okay, so you're, you're in I it. W- I, no, I was very hooked into Sabres as soon as I was born, pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, from 2005 on, I have vivid memories of every single Sabres season, like... It's never really gone away for me. I know it's like it's hard to watch the game sometimes. Like it's hard to you know sit here, especially during like the drought and every or um the the tank year and everything. But like 
it's never gone away from me. I had a memory pop up on my phone today from a year ago today of my dad and I at a Sabres Blue Jackets game and the arena's packed and JJ Paterka just scored a goal and everyone's up on their feet having a great time because that was right in the middle of everything that was last year. And like like you said, it's never that far away. It's always right there. And seeing that from just a year ago is like a reminder of that. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of sad to go down memory lane like this, but it's also kind of fun because you, you realize like, what was there? Like you said, you always look at the 0506 teams, but you never look at the years directly following that yeah. those teams. And and they were good. Like this, I was looking at the stats well, this year, and and Derek Roy had 69 points. Tim Connolly had 65. Like they were, it was not like you know these world beater points. No, records, but, score, but scoring was not what it is now. I mean, scoring has been back up quite a bit. But it's also like you look at. The amount of scoring around the team, it was like a well-rounded effort. It wasn't just yeah, like two guys taking the, way, taking the whole. There's a year weight. in there where they have like seven twenty goal scorers, and yeah, there there was balance. Like the, if you're looking back again, history here for the for Miller and the Sabers. If you wanted to do the trilogy, it's Miller shows up. That doesn't be a trilogy, but like the career arc, he shows up. He's really good. He's a goalie that makes big saves for them in the 0506 and 0607 runs. I mean, he's he's very good. That's where we 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 see who he is. They miss the playoffs for two seasons when Briere and Drury leave. Those years they finished with 90 and 91 points, and they missed. They missed. Which again, that's not a crazy number to miss, but man, 90 and 91. This entire drought, they've only touched 91 one time, and it was last year. That used to be the, oh my God, what a disappointment, 90 and 91 points. Then Tyler Myers shows up. He wins the Calder. Miller wins the Vezina. They go to the playoffs. They lose. The following season, they go to the playoffs again. And then I, I wanted to look up the date of this because to kind of get back to the day the Sabres broke, when did the Sabres break? Was it not November of 2011? When Lucic hit Miller, yep, yeah. I mean, listen, I'll be gu- I'll be guilty right now. Of this is how hockey goes. There's a fight that happens in a game, and if a team wins, it's because that fight got that team energized, and the other team got beaten by the fight. But what you have with the Sabers is good team point totals out of the lockout: one ten, one thirteen, ninety, ninety one, one hundred, ninety six. Miller gets hit. 89, 48, that's in 48 games, so call that 82, right? 89, 82, 52, 54, 81, 71, 62, 76, 68, it's over. And you could say for any number of reasons, whatever you want to say, if we're doing this trip down memory lane, I think it might be more likely that the thing that killed them that day was the desire to feel like they had to be tough instead of being what they were, which was a good, balanced team that had 720 goal scores. Instead, they... Draft a pair of defensemen that are finger quotes tough to play against, and one of them spends ten years here getting murdered in his own end. The other one gets traded away to Colorado in the O'Reilly deal. Zadorov, he's still playing. Steve Ott, you bring in a guy like Steve Ott who then goes out with Miller. You know, like these overreactions of you got to make sure you're, you're this kind of team. I actually remember I was um, I was cleaning in one of the studios here one time like a year ago. And I found a paper from the day that they, they traded for Steve Ott, like the 
the Derek Roy has been traded to the Dallas Stars. Steve Ott comes to Buffalo. What does he bring to Buffalo? And I remember reading the column, and it was like, he's a goal scorer, but he also has grit, and he's going to be great for the Sabres to be like an enforcer. Tougher to play against. Yeah, they right. all, They were just going to be. They were going to be tough to play against. It was the whole idea. Time to be tough to play against. What's the Steve? Like Steve Ott's career here. Here's what's even funnier. How many games did he play for the Sabres, Steve Ott? How many years was he here? Four years, three years, two, two. Wow. I was, I was expecting like a yep. little bit more than that. The lockout shortened season, he scores nine goals, and then the next season, he's got nine goals and is traded to St. Louis, where he scores zero goals. He spent the next three seasons in St. Louis, two and a half, and scored three goals total. I'm pretty sure his name's on the cup too, because he was part of the coaching staff when they won in St. Louis. Yep, he was like he's like an advisor of some sort there. I don't know. Maybe he's gotten a promotion since then. But. Today's the day I learned that Steve Ott played 107 games for the Sabres, and it felt like way more than that. 107. He was the captain, too. He was the captain. Which is just crazy. He licked the guy's helmet. Or what, did he lick his face mask? He licked the guy. I think he licked his helmet. Marchand licked the guy's face. But I think Steve The Ott- Sabres went from the team, again, right before all that, Miller, Vezina, this time in history, and like, time to get tough to play against. We need a captain that licks guys' helmets. Hockey helmets, obviously. You know, hey, no no euphemisms here. Not, not intentional, sorry. It's time to get to a break as fast as possible. 803-0550. Only played 107 games. Holy cow. I would have guessed just like you, like what, 200? He was here forever. Nope. In and out. Fast. Wild. After he... Here's the here's stat of the day. We already had one. Here's your stat of the day. <laughs> All right, this is kind of devilish on Steve Ott. All due respect to Steve Ott. In his career, before he left the Sabres, he scored 100 goals. He had 100 NHL goals when he was traded away from the Buffalo Sabres to St. Louis. That was in 2013-14. So in 2014, Steve Ott gets traded to St. Louis. He had 100 career NHL goals. After that, he had nine. His career was nine goals after that. Three with St. Louis. Three with Detroit. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's six. Sorry, I had one of those one of those lines where it says total because the guy got traded again. He got traded from Dallas to Buffalo, Buffalo to St. Louis, and St. Louis to Detroit, and had nine career goals the rest of the way. Man, you know, talk about decisions the Sabers made. How about deciding we we need to be like that? And then you know, on the Wikipedia page is just a. An avalanche of did not qualify, did not qualify, did not qualify, did not qualify. And we're still chasing that. Anyway, there you go. Memory lane. Like I said, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, I said there'd be fun with it. I don't know. Was there fun? That was the, this day in history. Was there fun? There was some. Yeah, I had fun like remembering some stuff. There were, like, there were fun know. facts in there. Were, yeah. there. were there fun facts? They were facts. I don't know if they were yeah. really fun. Yeah, you're probably right. All right. Extendo Sports on the way. Another giveaway. We're giving away prizes all day today, so stay tuned. Another giveaway coming up here on WGR. Breaking sports news airs first here. Guaranteed. WGR Sports Radio 550. 2020 Sports. Extendo Sports. Okay, be caller five to win a pair of four, or sorry, a four-pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo coming to the Hamburg Fairgrounds from Friday, March 8th through Sunday, March 10th. Visit WNY Sports Show. Dot com for details and tickets. Be caller five to win a pa- four pack of tickets. Call 
221-4-WGR. Well, Saber's memory lane there. It just immediately popped in my head how Ronan Tynan used to sing God Bless America at half the games. He's there all the time. Anyway. Um, <laughs> great moments in Saber's history. So tomorrow, what's coming up tomorrow? Tomorrow is, what day is today? Tomorrow's Thursday, yes. We'll talk with Sal. We're also going to get, if you maybe follow him on, on Twitter, maybe not, Anthony at Cover One is going to join us at 8 o'clock, talk some draft prospects. Whenever I'm hanging out on Twitter, you know, scrolling through, I see Anthony from Cover One routinely just posting video, posting tape. Here's the L22. Here's Javon Baker. Here's, you know, whether it's defensive line receivers, we're going to be covering this stuff a lot. Excited to talk to him, have him on for the first time uh, ever. So that's cool. Dave writes in, Steve Ott had a weekly segment with you and Howard. These are the file this under things I forgot that I forgot, but I, apparently that happened. Thank you to Dave to write that in. Steve Ott. After you said that, I do remember seeing on an MSG broadcast. Tune in to WGR every whatever yeah, day Steve to hear Ott. from the Sabers captain. Is Steve Ott's greatest contribution as a member of the Buffalo Sabers though being the guy that slow revealed that jersey? Yes. And they posted the picture of him in the jersey, and I was just kind of like, whoa. What's your favorite part from that jersey? If you have one. Favorite is in like it's so bad. Can you believe it happened? Yes. Okay. Um, hmm. Nominees include two different colors of yellow, the font, the silver inside the numbers, something else, the word Buffalo underneath the the, the collar. I mean, what am I missing? What should be the favorite part? My favorite part is the C and the A in the cross swords on your shoulder when you were the captain. Do you remember that? I don't. If you look up that picture of Steve Ott, he's got a C on his shoulder in crossed sabers. Rather than putting it on the chest, they put it on the shoulder, which was a bold move because no one has ever done that in the history of the NHL. Yeah. I think that I think you're right about the font, though. The font looks like the if Comic wild. Sans went to college and discovered rock music. Really the most amazing thing, if you search out that Steve Ott picture, the most amazing thing is that the, the it's almost impossible to even verbalize this happened, but the yellow of the chest doesn't match the yellow it's connected to on the arms. It's the lighting. No. No? No. <laughs> They had two different color yellows. I won't walk out. I wouldn't walk out of the house in that. I can't believe they didn't pull a Mike Keenan when they had that one blues jersey that he refused. Like, we're not going to wear that. We're refusing to wear that. Of course, you know, there's deals and such. I mean, these jerseys were something else. They were also yellow in the front and blue in the back. Like, if you were looking at the Sabres from behind, they were a blue team, dark blue. And from the front, they were a yellow team. It's also funny because when you look at, like, when you click on the op picture, there's, like, suggested images, and you have pictures of Vili Leno, Patrick Coletta, Cody Hodson, Mikhail Gregorenko. Some legends right there. Yeah, I don't ever want to hear anybody say post-tank is worse than pre-tank. Pre-tank was worse. I mean, really, it was. Look at this. Pre-tank. Right? All that's pre... Holy cow. That's, like, the year of the tank. Or is it? They wore them for two years, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't remember what they wore. <laughs> Here's Alex Sulzer in the locker room wearing one of these things. Christian Erhoff. 
Speaking of Cody Hodson, he's on like a four goal, four game goal streak. Right I now. saw that. That's, that's, a, that's a good story. I had a chance to meet Cody Hodson at one of the Sabres tournaments recently. He was a really nice guy. Um, he scored his first goal in eight years. First goal in professional mm-hmm. hockey in eight years. Pretty like a cool. week ago. Yeah, good story for him. Okay, that's it for us. The Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show is coming up. Of course, uh, stay tuned. Sal Capaccio is in Indianapolis through the week. Defensive line interviews today. We might get some defensive linemen to say, yes, I met with the Buffalo Bills. Wide receiver testing comes on Saturday, so that's when that's going to fire up. All right. Stay tuned. Extra Point Show next.